cerulean blue is a gentle breeze. <laughs> exactly. Welcome along to X-Files Talk X-Files, the only X-Files podcast that has actually been abducted by aliens. Except they weren't really aliens, it was the military, and then another alien came along, and then it just got really bleeping confusing. <laughs> I'm your host, David Hard, and joining me today from xfilesnews.com, I have Kava Anderson. Hi, Kava. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Oh, very happy to be here. Uh, this is Kava's first time, so uh, I will go gently with the quiz portion. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, before we get started on today's show, I just want to say that uh, since last week's episode, I had a tiny little bit of abuse. Well, not really abuse, but I had some people questioning me on Twitter over a comment I made about trying to rein in some of the more shippy uh, co-hosts. And um, just... To be completely honest, it was having a little bit of a go at uh, Tiffany, teasing her for finding all those really shippy moments in the list. Um, somebody else gave me some feedback on that, and I was like, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. But um, thank you to uh, Godzilla Russell and Tank Bulldog for having a go at me and going, stop not talking about shippiness stuff. We're going to be talking about shippiness. It's part of the show. Um, and obviously, a lot of my co-hosts are really, really into the shippy stuff, so it, it's not going away. I'm just... Uh, having a bit of a laugh of that and uh, <laughs> rain in maybe slightly, ever so slightly, but it's not going away. Okay, uh, so Kevin, on today's show, we are going to talk about the last big chunk of standalone episodes in season three. So some non-mythology ones here, we're doing uh, Pusher all the way through Wet Wired. Um, we were talking just before we started recording and we we're saying some of these episodes are really, really solid, really good episodes. Um, that have stood the test of time and um, at least one of them is on my top 10 list of the whole series uh, but we also have a couple of clunkers in there as well so uh, let's get started with the first episode which is Pusher <laughs> and a fantastic episode written by Vince Gilligan uh, who I love one of my favorite writers on the show yes and um, obviously you know he went on to do Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul and if you've seen either of those shows, if you've seen some of Vince Gilligan's later X-Files episodes, you kind of get a good idea of his sense of humor. And that is evident in the very first shot of Pusher, which opens on a close-up of a cabbage. And um, very politically incorrect, but obviously by the end of the episode, Pusher is a little bit of a vegetable. Vegetable, yes. <laughs> I, I, I caught that this time around. I think, yeah, that's Vince Gilligan's handprints all over that. Yes, it does. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really love this episode um it's not one you know i know it's one of those episodes that always gets talked about as being an example of a really good solid episode from when the x-files was in its prime um but it's not until re-watching it recently i just realized you know studying it for this podcast just how good of an episode it is just the solid plotting of it and obviously he's written it as a fan of the show as well, because there's so many different callbacks to past episodes, 
in this one we have um, the fluke man is appears on the magazine cover at the checkout the in the teaser um we have the same security guard as in anasazi pops up when uh, modell sneaks into the fbi headquarters yeah nice uh reference to Mulder's porn habits and the uh the joke of uh if his uh headset gets the playboy channel yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's just so many little details like that and um Quagmire, which is we're going to discuss a little later on, that has a lot of callbacks as well. Um, but Kaver, if you want to jump in and give us some thoughts on uh, Pusher, I think it's just such a classic Vince Gilligan episode. It's got so many, just you know, like you said, the details are just incredible. It's just the way he manages to weave um, a story together is just so strong, and there is so much tension, you know, throughout the episode. Truly, the cat and mouse. I think, but you also get the humor with it, and I think too one of uh, Vince Gilligan's biggest strong points is just the way that he writes the team of Mulder and Scully. I mean, it just he really understands those characters and what makes them work together so well. I think um, it's it's just a really really intense hour of television. Oh yeah, and everyone is just at the top of their game in this episode. Yes. The writing, the directing, the editing, cinematography, the music. It. It, this is like a movie. Yes. This, you know, th- this is one of those episodes which genuinely is like a an hour long movie rather than a, just a an episode of TV. Yeah, it's ju- and it's just so beautifully shot, you know. Too, I mean, just the whole look of it. I mean, it, 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 it's it's in some ways, I think it's a how to of how to make a really good hour of TV. Just you know, like you mentioned, from everything from you know the writing to the look of it, it's just so solid. Yes. Yeah. And I think in some ways, too, it really traps, taps into a, a fear, I think, that you know many people have of, of losing control over yourself and your own actions. I mean, to be manipulated so easily by someone else is just you know kind of terrifying. And I, I think that's sort of one of those things that makes Pusher, so, as, a, as a character, very scary. Because, you know, the fluke man, well, you know, you're not so sure he's going to pop up in your bathroom. That That's much easier to, to dismiss as fantasy, I think. But with, you know, a character like that, who's to say, you know, somebody isn't going to get into your head a little bit and make you act differently than you would mean to. And I, I think that's, you know, a really, you know, almost primal fear in some ways. And I think one thing, too, that you see also... Um, is just the strength of Mulder and Scully's relationship. I mean, you can't talk about Pusher without getting to the ship a little bit. <laughs> and, the, and the thing that I find so fascinating in that Russian roulette scene is Mulder is so controlled by Pusher there, um, he doesn't hesitate to point the gun at himself. It's only when Modell is asking him to point the gun at Scully that he's really able to fight it. And I think that really says something about the, the depth of, of their relationship there. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. And Scully gets to save the day in this episode, too, which, you know, may or may not happen as often as we would like. <laughs> yeah. And it also, um, you know, that whole Russian roulette sequence, it kind of plays with um, one of the tropes of the show that Mulder usually pulls out his gun and he loses it. <laughs> this time he gives away his gun and suddenly he finds another one. So yep. <laughs> a little bit inverse uh, right there. Um, but yeah, I just want to talk about a couple of the uh, moments uh, that I made a note of while watching it. Um, obviously, you have that that very memorable scene where the SWAT guy sets himself on fire. Yes, that's just such a another visceral sort of scene, and you don't even see that much. But what you do is, is so impactful, and uh, you know a lot of the stuff in this episode, you know, 
is impactful in that same kind of way. Um, okay, so let's um, discuss the next two episodes kind of together. Uh, Teso dos Bichos and Hell Money. Uh, neither of those are particular favourites of mine. Um, right. I will admit I didn't watch either of them uh, while preparing for this episode. I was very tempted to go back and watch at least the first half of Teso dos Bichos um, because of the quote from Kim Manners that the first three acts were some of the best directing he's ever done. The fourth act is the worst. Um but that episode just has such a, a negative reputation and it was the sixth episode on my list to watch and I just did not get around to watching it. Um, from memory, I remember the first time I watched it, there were some really cool spooky bits of all of the rats in the toilets and the mm-hmm. intestines in the trees. Um, but otherwise, it's kind of a meh kind of episode. And Hell Money is basically just a pyramid scheme for black market human organs. Right. And Lucy Lou's in it, and uh, it's not really an X file, <laughs> right? I think what Tasados Beachos, in some ways, that one might have been cursed from the get go because you know one of the words in the title is slang for something not exactly appropriate for television. Um, <laughs> and I think I remember Commander saying too that it, he he made the joke when he was looking at the the killer cats that just didn't i mean if i don't know if you have a cat i have a cat and you can't no there's no directing cats like he's just gonna do what he wants (laughs) and i think at some point kim did make the joke that you know after seeing these killer cats that just weren't scary at all he was never gonna work again which obviously was not true um i also do know that he made up t-shirts for the crew um that said Teso dos Pichos survivor after that Um, yes (laughs) you know i feel bad ragging on it because it's you know, it's, like you said, it does have some some scary bits, you know, as, as far as the, you know, the rats are just disgusting. And, you know, you find your 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 murder victim by watching the blood from their guts dripping on Mulder's face. I mean, that's how they figured out he was in the tree. Just, just terrible. But, yeah, I mean, just cats are not scary. And the, 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 the fake uh, rabbit fur-covered cat they had to make to accommodate the Gillian Anderson's allergies for the cat that attacks her later is just, I, I think it's kind of a, 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 maybe a bit of a low point when you, um, you remember the bloopers for the episode better than the episode itself. <laughs> there is a, a particularly memorable yes. shot of David Duchovny wrestling with that fake cat, and it's pretty funny. It's like, like a little um, boxing toy or something, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. I, I think I, I could be wrong about this, but I do think I remember reading... Um, that for some reason uh, that episode actually had higher ratings. There are more people watched that when it originally aired than Pusher did, which just is kind of a crime in my opinion. But, you know. Yeah, I remember we were talking about, um, I think it was in season one, and that Space got some really high figures. And obviously Space is not one of the greatest episodes. (laughs) And then they fell off dramatically then for the next one, which I think was Fallen Angel, you know, Mm -hmm. probably as a result of that. So, um which, I mean, I, I have a soft spot for space because it's fanboy Mulder, and I find that sort of adorable, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the lone gunman in first-person shooter. Right, exactly. So what about Hell Money? Is there anything in there to redeem it, or...? Oh, man. B.D. Wong? He's redeemable. I like him. Yeah. <laughs> As an actor. That's another one of those episodes that even, you know, I've seen it multiple times at this point through, you know, multiple rewatches, and it just doesn't really do much for me. I mean, it's 
it's it's kind of scary and interesting enough that it, I I like that they they took a you know a look at a different culture and tried to be you know as as culturally sensitive as an outsider could be, but it just doesn't. I, I think if I remember correctly, one of the problems with that is is Mulder and Scully are just kind of outsiders in that episode and not much like they're just kind of observing it at about the same time we do. Um, and yeah. it, it just sort of takes the, you know, there's not much to be, there's not a whole lot of resolution there if I remember right. But I, I do seem to recall one uh, particularly icky special effect where the, the frog jumped out of a body. That was kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was, I didn't watch it again, but I was going back to do my research, you know, reading uh, reviews and, and, uh, plot summaries and everything of the episode online just to refresh my memory so I could talk about it and um, there's not a whole lot to talk about I mean the big criticism that kept coming up was that Hell Money is um, it suffers from the same problem as Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark which obviously is a fantastic movie one of my favorite movies of all time but um, Indiana Jones doesn't influence anything in any way right Um, in that movie you know if he wasn't there, okay, so the Nazis would still have gotten the Ark, which they did even when he was there, and they would have all died on the island when they opened it. So he didn't influence the plot of that at all. Same thing with this right here. Mulder and Scully don't really do anything to stop anything or to change the course of something that's happened. They're just kind of on the periphery of the storyline, and they're not really involved. It doesn't have any stakes for them. Yep. Two not-so-great episodes. Pusher. You know, go watch that one. Don't worry about those two. Right. So uh, let's move on to the fourth episode then. Um, This is one of my favorite episodes of all time. Jose Chung's From Outer Space. Yes. The last ever episode written by Darren Morgan. At least until January. At least until January, February sort of time. Next year. Yeah, and I believe that's actually the one they're shooting right now is is Darren's episode. um, Yes. I saw some casting news came out a few days ago, and it sounded, based on the character descriptions, it was going to be his episode. Yes. So exciting. Yes. <laughs> I actually, uh, a friend of mine and his family had started watching X-Files maybe a year or so ago, um, but hadn't gotten too far into it, and I was visiting them not long ago, and he says, okay, after dinner, you know, we're going to watch an X-Files episode, and you get to pick. And I, went, I just had to go with Jose Chung because it's it's... You know, you don't get bogged down in the mythology per se, but it's just such a fun episode to introduce to somebody who's not too familiar with the series, and and they all really, really enjoyed it. So, points for Darren Morgan. (laughs) Yeah, this is a great episode. Um, One of the greatest episodes of the show. Um, I think it's probably quite secure within my top five of the whole history of the show. Um, What I love about this episode is that it's not just funny, but it really does make you think. You have to think in order to follow this episode. In order to figure out exactly what is going on, this episode makes you work. Um, it starts off with the uh, the, the typical archetypal um, alien abduction scenario. There's a couple driving down the road late at night. All of a sudden, their car loses power and a UFO appears and two aliens come down to abduct them. So far, so conventional as far as the alien, uh, as far as the typical alien scenario goes. But wait, another UFO comes down, and a third alien, unlike anything we've seen before, uh, let's just call him Lord Kinboat, uh, he comes and he abducts the uh, teenage couple 
and there would be abductors, the traditional grey aliens. After that, then, uh, the episode is basically just a series of varying degrees of unreliable narrators, including Mulder and Scully themselves, because the author Jose Chung comes in to try and figure out exactly what had happened, and as Scully is relaying information to him from both her and Mulder's version of events, uh, he mentions a couple of times that what they, te- what she is telling him directly contradict things that he has been told by other sources, and sometimes that's done in a humorous way, other times it does sort of leave you questioning, well, who really is telling the truth here? Um, Basically, the whole episode is trying to decipher what's happened. Um, There's different layers that are peeled back over the course of the episode, uh, but it's all still fairly hazy at the end, especially when people are trying to, especially when the military is actively trying to cover up the truth. So it's a very neat twist on the... Uh, cover-up scenario, the whole, you know, traditional alien abduction scenario. There's just so much uh, that I love about this episode. Uh, It's awesome. It's like a Rubik's Cube wrapped in a puzzle, wrapped in an enigma. It's just great. And it's no wonder that Rob Bowman probably lost a lot of hair trying to figure out how to direct this. (laughs) But he does such a good job that um, there's a lot of repetition, obviously, in the episode itself when you have... um, the teens being uh, interviewed by the police, by Mulder and Scully, um, and the hypnosis, mm. um, and just the, the way that Rob Bowman stages a lot of it is so that you have a lot of the, the visual uh, repetitiveness as well, yes. which helps uh, to yes. keep things on track. Yep. We, it really helps hold it together in that, you know, the story keeps changing and people's memories of what happened change, but the circumstances are the same. So it helps you as you're watching, you know, remember that, oh yeah, we've, you know, we've discussed this before. Here's a slightly different take on it, but it's, you know, it's all the same players, even down to the way Scully's kind of standing with her arms crossed in the background, if, if I'm remembering correctly. And those visual cues, I think, really help hold the story together. I, I, I remember reading that I think Rob Bowman did say he'd, He'd read the script like 15 or 16 times before it all really gelled for him and he really kind of understood how he wanted to tackle it. And then he said he had a, a really in-depth meeting with uh, um, Darren to go over, you know, kind of step by step how exactly he uh, visualized this. And the, the end result is is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of repetition there in the lines as well. Obviously, the this is not happening. happening. Uh, if you tell anyone you're a dead man. And um, the who is that or what is that? And the, the repetitive line, how the hell should I know? I don't know, yes. <laughs> it's just so off the wall yeah. in, in so many regards. You know, the, the, the uh, Scully telling the story. And so rather than um, saying all of the swear words that the sheriff is doing, she puts, replaces them with bleep or blankety blank. Um, like there's some crazy blank hole who says he's found a dead alien. <laughs> I think that makes it so much funnier if than if they would have either a been swearing if that would have been allowed on network television at the time or b you well, know exactly thing, but... that's the same reason why South Park is so funny. Yes, and um, yeah, and it, it is just so out of the ordinary. Not a typical X file at all. And you have Alex Trebek as a man in black. Yeah, and um, Darren Morgan originally wanted to get Johnny Cash in as the man in black. Which would have been awesome, oh, man. but unfortunately he was unavailable. But uh, that would have been really meta. That would have been so cool. <laughs> yeah, it, it, Jesse Ventura, too, who you know later goes on to be the governor of Minnesota. I believe that was <laughs> he was uh, in this episode. So maybe that had something to do with it. But yeah, just when those two show up, you're just like, what? 
you know, I mean, throughout the whole hour, your general reaction is, what is going on, you know, and, and then just those absurd little touches between, you know, here's Jesse Ventura telling you what you saw was the planet Venus and, and the, you know, the alien autopsy and, you know, there's just so many just absurdly funny points in it. But yet it also, too, I think touches on the, um, you know, the more serious aspect of, you know, well, how exactly do you figure out the truth when, you know, memory is a little infallible and so many people can experience the same thing and all see it very, very differently, you know? I think that there's a commentary for this episode on the yes. original DVD release. Yep. And uh, Darren Morgan was saying that Jesse Ventura didn't have a clue what he was saying. Yes. And he's the lines, he just went with it. And uh, that just makes it even funnier when you know yep. that. But, uh, oh, yeah, just... Just so many bits in that episode just make me laugh, even though I've seen it probably 30, 40 times by this point. But the bit where the scene where they're um, talking to Rocky in his garage (laughs) and it cuts between them talking with him and the flashback. Yes. And there's some great shots there where he has his reaction as if it's the flashback. And then he just turns his head and starts talking to Mulder. And um, just the way that Rob Bowman is messing with us, the same way that we don't know what's reality and and what's um, something else the same way that the characters aren't quite sure you know what's reality either yeah and you had that great line that uh, normally when a strange car pulls into my garage i tell them to get the hell off my property but this time i didn't <laughs> because that's something that happens all the time right you know it's twice a week i mean <laughs> so. and uh and, and and scully getting to a um you know, pick up that guy in the field, and, you know, holding him by the collar and shaking him. You know, if you if you say anything about this, you're a dead man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, she she's a man dressed up as a woman, but not really pulling it off. Right. <laughs> right. And Mulder is a mandroid who just yes. yelps when he sees their bodies. <laughs> Definitely that girly scream. Yeah. Oh, I love that episode. Um, and that was, you know, that was the fun part about, you know, just recently watching it with two people, you know, two, three people who had never seen the episode just to, to be kind of able to see it through their eyes too. And just the, uh, you know, the absurdity of it. And it was just really fun to watch people's reactions who didn't know what was coming, you know? So, so let's go on then to Avatar, which was Skin Man. The, the first Skinner centric episode. Yep. As he gets up to, up to some head turning activities off the clock. Right. Definitely uh, things you wouldn't expect of the, uh, the very straight laced assistant director. And I think that sort of disbelief is something Scully runs into as well. I know, I know Mulder is very adamant that, that Skinner couldn't have done it. And if I, remember correctly scully isn't as isn't as convinced it's like well what do you really know about him so exactly this is um interesting because the story was largely created by david Duchovny, and i think it's howard gordon um helped him with the story and howard gordon actually wrote the script for it uh, but Mulder, well david Duchovny, his idea was um to write an episode that was centered on Skinner because he felt there was so much that could be done with that character that hadn't been done. And also he thought it would give him a little bit of a break. Yes. <laughs> which didn't happen. Um, but his idea was that Mulder and Skinner are both these men that are obsessed by their work and that they deal with a lot of dark stuff in their work and how does that affect their personal lives. So in this episode you have... You know, Skinner's marriage has deteriorated to the point where they're on the brink of getting a divorce. He just has to sign the paperwork. But viewing it through Dave Duchovny's eyes, as he may have approached this story or fought up the story, you know, he had for a long time um, imagined that Mulder 
was divorced, that he'd been married previously before he ever met Scully. And, you know, we see down the road um, it, that relationship sort of explained a little bit more. But it's interesting knowing that and watching Avatar kind of um, getting the idea of stuff that Mulder has gone through in the past, Skinner is going through now. Um, Sharon comes to visit Skinner in his mm-hmm. new apartment and uh, she says something about, I, I only asked for the divorce because you didn't have the guts to. And right. That whole scene just feels like, you know, I've just punched to the gut. Yep. And you know, knowing about Mulder and Fowley you know, mm-hmm. down the road, you know, think, viewing that scene for that sort of um, context is, okay, well, maybe this is David Duchovny is trying to kind of articulate what he sees Mulder, Mulder's history as being a little bit um, just made for interesting viewing when you're viewing it through those that kind of prism. And there's um, a really great scene. I forget exactly where it happens in the episode. I think it's after Skinner has been arrested at some point and he references back the Vietnam story from one yes. breath and you know the the reason for doing it is largely so he can say that the old woman that he's been having visions of she was there he had a vision of her um when he was shot in mm. vietnam um, but that is just a great scene there's some really genuine moments of weakness on skinner's part there and Mulder asks you know what is she protecting you from because they think that this old woman is maybe trying to protect Skinner that she's saved his life once before in Vietnam and now she's trying to protect him now again and and Skinner's like I I don't know what she could be trying to protect me from and it's just a he just that's the only scene that I can think of where Skinner just really lets his guard down and you kind of see that he maybe has some sort of connection with Mulder as well and sort of recognises that, yes, we are both cut from the same cloth, you know, as different as we might be. Yeah, Skinner's very, you know, he's much more by the book than Mulder will ever be. But I think that loyalty to, you know, the quest that they're, you know, that they're both on is definitely there, even though it comes out in different ways. And I I adore the character of Skinner. I just think he's so fantastic. Um, And would have loved to have seen, you know, even more of his backstory than just that, that little bit we get. I mean, he's such a, a, you know, a hard character, a very tough character. He doesn't, you know, let a whole lot of it, of himself show very easily. He doesn't let people in easily. Um, which, you know, I think you could say the same thing about Mulder and, and, you know, to be able to learn even just a little bit about him, you know, that softer side was just really great. Um, and I liked being able to see him interact with, you know, his wife and in and, and that storyline there, just getting a bit more of a glimpse into into his personal life. Um and <laughs> to the the line about Skinner not being a choir boy that he did inhale. Um Yes. That's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, between that and the OJ reference in uh, Pusher, you can yes. de- definitely a sense of time. <laughs> yeah, oh nineties. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think that's the I mean, is that the last time we hear of Sharon and and really much of, of of Skinner's personal life, like I did, always sort of wonder how that ended up later. You know, yeah. That, well, that was going to be one of my questions: was does she appear again? And I was thinking uh, potentially if she's still around, maybe is it SR eight nineteen would be a good episode where she could have right. popped up. But I, I don't recall if she actually does or. No, I don't think so. You know, I assume that they are still going to be getting divorced, but. Mm-hmm. Um, because he does put his wedding ring back on at the end of the episode. But that, yeah, exactly. He does put the well, ring back on at the end. So I guess, um, are there any shippers out there for Skinner? Maybe somebody can 
let us know if he has a ring on in future episodes. Well, I, I know there's sort of a, a, a fanfic trope of, of uh, Skinner and uh, Maggie Scully getting together at some point, which I just could never quite wrap my brain around because I don't see him, Skinner as being quite that same age, but I, I know that one is <laughs> very popular. <laughs> yeah, I remember when Mulder disappeared from the show and there were some theories out there, okay, well, maybe Skinner and Scully are going to get together because I think Skinner had, that, you know, I think Skidder had definitely had an attraction to her the same way that oh, yeah. uh, Doggett does later on as well. Yeah, my, my running joke about that is getting line, boys, because I, I, I think that's just kind of, you can't help but fall in love with Scully, um, even speaking personally, you know. So, <laughs> so like, all right, guys, just, just form a line, you know, Mulder's first, and then everybody just kind of fall in behind him. So. <laughs> oh, a couple of podcasts ago, we were talking about the whole um, controversy around who is Danny? Mother calls Danny all the time, and that um, somewhere along the way, somebody um, misinterpreted that Agent Pe- Agent Pendrel was actually Danny, and you know Chris Carter said no, he's not. They're different people. Blah blah blah. Um, but I think this is the episode where that confusion probably originates from, because yes. um, Mulder takes the airbag to Pendrel to investigate it and try and figure out, you know, is there the face impression of who was in the car when it crashed? Um, so you see him with Pendrel. Pendrel's going to go and do that. Next scene, he's chatting with Scully, and he gets a phone call, and it's Danny. And Danny's trying to figure out who the face belonged to. Right. So I'm assuming that Pendrel was trying to get the face off the airbag, and then he passed it across to Danny to run it through some sort of uh, database. Yep. That but, uh, very easily to, to get confused there that yeah. Danny and Pendrel are the same person if it's not explicitly otherwise because we don't know right and I think too that originally the the wrinkled old woman um, the I believe they call her a, a succubus was yes. supposed to be a um, like a really beautiful younger woman because um, that's sort of the the mythology of that particular character I think and and I think there's I think there's um, folklore with both i think it's okay or that's it's uh, it's initially a, a very attractive young woman and then it turns into an older woman like that you know horrific looking older woman or something right but it, it's been a while since i've done any research in on the succubus yeah <laughs> so. poor, poor skinner he could have had this beautiful woman haunting him instead it was you know kind of this creepy old lady so skinner always kind of gets the short straw i think <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, he keeps seeing his wife and then it tu- she turns into the older woman and vice versa. So, you know, maybe that's the subtext we're supposed to get from this episode is that um, she is his savior. And that yeah. that's why he refuses to sign the divorce. That's why he puts the ring on at the end, because uh, she does save him time and time again. And, you know, like he says, he, she's the reason that he is able to get up every morning and to go into this job where people routinely um, shoot him in coffee shops and beat him up in stairwells. Right, you know, inject him with nanobots and things yeah. in, the, in the later years. Head, headbutt him in elevators. And so right. On. And uh, gets even is beat up by his own uh, assistant a couple episodes back. Yes, know, yeah. Him, so. <laughs> Skinner has not had a good couple of weeks by the time this episode rolls around. So No, no, not at all. Okay, so... Um, Let's move on to Quagmire. And on station on the rock. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you said it before I could. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, I'm just going to, okay, I will let you run with that and we will get as shippy as you like. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to say real quick, um, this episode, um, Quagmire is written by Kim Newton, um, but uh, Darren Morgan actually did a pass on the script. He's not credited, um, but apparently he wrote, um, he went and did a big rewrite of it. Apparently he wrote most of the conversation on the rock sequence, which pretty much takes up the final act of the show. Um, but I just want to interject real quick that, you know, it's pretty clear that he had a hand in it because there's so many calls back, callbacks to his former episodes mm-hmm. in this one. Um, you have the kids who are licking the toad were obviously in uh, War of the Coprophages. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and there's some other things in there as well, which I can't re- I can't think of. Oh, Queequeg. Yes. Queequeg, yep. which he introduced in Clyde Bruckman and pops up in War of the Coprophages. And then, of course, Queequeg is here and dies. Yeah, a cannibal dog that was named after a cannibal well i suppose he wasn't really a cannibal if he was eating his owner because not the same species but sort of a murderous little dog yes yeah (laughs) so anyway conversation on the rock go for it oh conversation on the rock i but it's just one of those just kind of iconic moments i mean to the point where even jillian anderson's running around wearing t-shirts that say c-o-t-r on there uh once once that was yeah once she found out what that meant (laughs) yeah they explain that to her and there's just something so you know, it's it's just kind of lovely, I guess, to see them talking more in depth. You know, you take them out of the 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 case and, and to give them a chance to just sort of sit there and, you know, contemplate life and, and in some ways kind of what they mean to each other. Um, and the I think the difference, too, uh, with Mulder, you know, being the Ahab in this situation is, is that, you know, Scully's able to pull him back. You know, she's not just going to follow him blindly like the uh you know the the starbuck in the novel um and and that i think you know so they're not going to go down with the ship because they're able to to kind of balance each other out even though you know their boat literally did sink in this episode so maybe that's not quite such a an apt uh, <laughs> analogy um and i think the the interesting thing too you know where, where Mulder's talking about you know wanting to have a, a peg leg so it's easier to just you know he could be simply occupied with living instead of chasing after this this quest the whole time is 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 really you know for a conversation that could be sort of silly it's really got a lot of meaning to it and it's just, it's just very sweet and a lot of fun and and you can see you know after watching it why it's it's something that stuck with the fans for so many years and kind of you know took on a, a life of its own and in, in what's otherwise sort of a just kind of a fun monster of the week episode you know and that's i I think the episode's kind of surprising that way because you're not expecting this this big moment between the two of them as it were when they're they're hunting a sea monster yeah and it's definitely a fan favorite that whole sort of formula where you know it's kind of a lighter episode you know it's not really intense and then you do have those lovely relationship moments between them both and it's a formula that they'd really perfected by the time that they got to detour Yes. With the whole I don't want to wrestle scene. Right. <laughs> no sleeping bags in this episode either, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah. This is one um, one of the few episodes which kind of deals with an outright hoax in it because you have the, the guy putting on the big shoes, pretending to leave tracks of the monster. Um, so that's kind of notable for the episode. Uh, otherwise, it's pretty much the same sort of plot as the Jersey Devil, it's basically Jaws. Yep. There's this creature out there, and they don't want to close the beach, and then the sheriff gets threatened, and they do close the beach. Right. So. 
I think that what's interesting about this one too is that you know they come away thinking, oh yeah, this was totally a hoax. You know, we found the alligator. Yes, it's it's it's, it's over. It's solved. And as they're leaving, then we see you know the actual big blue go swimming by in the in the lake. So it you know it turns out yeah, Mulder was right after all. There really was this creature out there, even though he doesn't see it. He doesn't see it, and that, that there's just something sort of like. Well, humorous about it for one, but it's just like, oh man, you know, he was that <laughs> close to having his proof and just, you know, nope, there it goes again. Yeah. Dang it. <laughs> There's another nice Jaws reference in there as well with um, the kids when they've been licking the toads and then the diver's head comes up out of the lake, like that right. famous scene in Jaws. Yep. Yes, that, it's a fun episode. It you know it it's a very easy watch. That one you haven't got to pay attention. Just you know until it gets to the conversation on the rock. Obviously, you know. <laughs> I think that's kind of the beauty of it too. Is it is it sort of sucks you back in and you least expect it. You know, you're just kind of oh yeah, you know this is the Loch Ness monster on the X Files, yeah. and then, no, it's it's really got a lot of yeah. you know just these sweet moments. And I think that just sort of I mean on a on a wider scale, I think harken back to what makes the show so great and why it's continued to, to stand the test of time is that it's you know you do have those moments like that that really draw you into the characters and you never quite know what you're gonna get i mean something that seems just oh simple and lighthearted ends up being you know something much more meaningful and, and that's you know i just think that's awesome <laughs> yeah and of course you know you have the the whole conversation of the rock which you know obviously all the shippers love and even those of us who aren't shippers love it as well because we do love the characters of Mulder and scully we can see that there is the love there and for me it was never about the romance you know the romantic relationship it was just about that there's a connection between these two people mm-hmm. but anyway it's a lovely conversation it's a beautiful scene and then it's kind of undercut with that humor at the end that they're right on the edge of the lake and they could have just walked to the shore if they wanted to but they've they've been sitting there all night without a a clue (laughs) (laughs) which is typical of darren morgan yes (laughs) okay so the final episode uh we're going to talk about today is wet wide which is the final um monster of the week non-mythology standalone of season three um, which is actually a really cool paranoid thriller. And it, it, the sort of tables are reversed on this one, that Mulder is not the paranoid one, it's mm-hmm. Scully. And she gets really, really paranoid. Yeah. Uh, there's just so much to talk about in this one. Obviously, it was written by Matt Beck. Yeah, yeah he did, did the, uh, the visual effects. And you know that kind of plays through the episode a little bit because people's perception of reality is kind of distorting and it's kind of the matrix before the matrix in a way um so basically people are being brainwashed it's kind of a a good follow-up to pusher actually that people are kind of having their reality distorted but it's through the tv as opposed to a soft-spoken man bending Mm. people to his will i've just got a collection of random notes uh, for this episode that um well, first of all, the the intro scene, the teaser scene, some lovely trees there where he's burying the body, and there's that season five episode with the trees, and I wonder if that's the same location. You know, I th- um, I think. Are you talking about the? It looks kind of like the orchard in. Um, I can never one. remember the name of that one either. Skizogeny. I. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, which is actually a location I've been to, sort of outside of Fort Langley in uh, um, okay. British Columbia, and it's it still looks like that. It's really creepy, you know, almost twenty years later. And and yeah, I would I would venture that that is the same location. Probably. Um, yeah, the, and it's funny too that you mentioned that it it's sort of, 
you know, kind of harkens back to, to Pusher because I was thinking that um, too. It's it's it, it flipped almost in a way because this time it's, you know, like in Pusher we see Mulder being controlled by some outside force. This time it's Scully's turn um, and just the and how surprising it is to see Scully who is normally, you know, so rational just completely off the off the deep end is is just sort of fascinating. And for some reason, David Duchovny looks incredibly young in this episode. Yes. <laughs> and I don't know what it is because the other ones, I it didn't see that much. Maybe his hair is just a little fluffier than normal or something. Right. <laughs> um, but he just looks so, so young here, which is so weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, some great bits in this episode. They pretty much pull in all of the uh, fan favorites that are typically in mythology episodes. You have Skinner in it. You have X. You have Cigarette Smoking Man. You have the Long Gunman in it. Um so it's Mom. no surprise that this is, you know, a fake. Oh, yeah, sorry, Mrs. Scully. Yes. Yep. <laughs> of course. Um, you know, it is a really good, solid episode to to see the end of the season off before we go into uh, Tilifakume next week. Yep. And um, there's that scene, of obviously, the end of this one with X and CSM sitting in the car at the end. And it's kind of, you don't really know who has the authority between them. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of get the impression that maybe it is CSM uh, and he's obviously been the big bad that we're familiar with um, but it's quite nice that that's the one of the one of the very final scenes in this episode if not the final one I can't remember completely mm-hmm. uh, but then the next episode straight away we see that X is actually uh, taking photos of CSM and trying to undermine him so there's you know even though they, maybe they are on sort of an even footing right now that there's some sort of power struggle going on between them which is quite interesting yes yeah and i think too it's it was sort of a i mean cuz it's a it's a standalone episode but in a ways it's almost not because you do get the you know the the like the plain clothes man i think they called him who who tipped him off cuz i believe uh the actor who plays x was otherwise unavailable um yeah. for some of the earlier parts of the episode his name escapes me right now, and I feel terrible about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I, was, I did look him up, and I didn't write his name down, but he has such a great face. Yes. Um, apparently, he was also in Colony or Endgame, one of those episodes. Um, and I can't believe... I'm sure I've seen him in some other stuff as well, because that guy's just got such a great face. Yes. And, the, and I think what's, what's also interesting about this episode, too, is just the concept of how... You know they're being manipulated by television. I mean, it's it's the the device that's sending the information through TV and the subliminal messaging about that. When you know that's kind of like you're watching an episode of television about being controlled by your television. Wait a second, but you know, which which would almost sort of maybe you know could induce a little bit of paranoia. And and that's kind of the the funny thing about TV is how it's you know how it can in, inspire people and and you know how how it becomes such a big part of your life. And it's it's just funny to to kind of see the you know this this big tv show that does mean so much to some people talking about how tv can manipulate you and i just i find that kind of funny especially coming from a writer who you know his job is to create you know the visual effects that help you know tell those stories and 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 manipulate what you're seeing a bit which i I just think is kind of fascinating the bit bit that cracked me up was um when they go to the first guy's home and they find all those vhs tapes that he's recorded the cable yes. news <laughs> and it just it just cracked me up because i'm thinking oh yeah because it's not like today we have some people who are obsessed with certain cable news channels you know? right <laughs> you say that all of those people are crazy hmm. yeah, you know and it's it's kind of the, the more things change the more they stay the same <laughs> i think and i work in the news business so i i, I just that scene just always makes me laugh because yeah it's 
it, the amount of terrible things you see, you know, either on, you know, online or on television news all day. And yeah, I mean, that does sort of, you know, with or without the government mind control device can wear on you after a while. And, and you know, I, I believe Scully points that out, too, that it's all the, you know, well, maybe it's all the violence this gentleman has seen on TV that's that's induced him to, you know, to do all this. And it ends up kind of being a little bit of both, I think, you know. Yeah. So. And this is another episode as well where it's evident that they shoot in Vancouver because you have the uh, the woman looking out of the window and sees her husband in the hammock and it's nice and sunny. And then, of course, the the next scene, it's just tipping down with rain and modern sky right. there with their big umbrellas. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. I recently, uh, I lived in Seattle for about seven years before I, I moved south. So seeing those, those earlier episodes kind of looks like home and I just laugh every time things like that happen or they're carrying the umbrellas cause it's raining, but there's still sun, you know, some sunshine in the background. Yeah. Been there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so let's go on to the quiz then. Okay. Uh, we have five questions and you're all on your own today. So I'm sorry about oh. that. <laughs> does that, does that mean I get like a phone a friend or something? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so question one uh, is going to be about pusher and uh, the question is what is the brand of uh, protein drinks uh, that Modell uh, drinks <laughs> I believe is it carbo boost it is and that always confused me because it says protein on it but the right. branding is carbo boost so I, I didn't understand that <laughs> but that is correct okay in uh, Teso dos Bichos uh, what is the name of the hallucinogenic drink made by the Ecuadorian shaman? Ah, uh, that would be a yaje. Also known as? Oh, um... But you don't have to do that. <laughs> yaje was uh, correct and surprisingly fast. Um, apparently it's also known as Vine of the Soul. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Well, That's there you good go. <laughs> okay, in uh, Jose Chung's From Outer Space... What is what is Mulder watching on the TV at the end of the episode? Oh, is that the is that Deadly Swarms? No. Is it that one? Or is he? Oh no, he's watching the Bigfoot. He is. He's there watching the famous Patterson Gimlin Bigfoot video. Yep. The, the swarms oh, thing. Yeah. Might and of course, they set it up that he's lying in bed with his shirt off and right. <laughs> looking at the TV all intense, and it's it's Bigfoot. He's watching. <laughs> You never know. <laughs> in Quagmire, according to the billboards at the start of the episode, Big Blue is older than the, older than the hills and bigger than what? Oh, man. Um... <laughs> Going to say bigger than the lone gunman's van because <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> bigger than the sky, apparently. Okay. So, uh, truth in advertising for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, final question then for today is going to be um, from Wet Wired. Obviously, we talked earlier about one of the killers is obsessed with cable news TV. Mm-hmm. What uh, TV was the? What TV channel was the other killer obsessed with? Hmm. Yep, definitely need my phone a friend on this one. <laughs> um, you want to take a stab in the dark? Let me see. I'm going to go ahead and say uh, Bob Ross on PBS. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, she's obsessed with the shopping channel. Oh, um, that's right. When they that's go, right. When they go in her home, she has all these little gnomes and stuff yes. and exercise bike and all these weird things that she's seen and just bought impulsively. That's right. I should. Uh, I, I may have to take some points off my file card for covering <laughs> that one. Uh, so well done. Anyway, and hope, uh, hope people <laughs> listening had fun playing along with that as well. <laughs> Um, talking about people listening, uh, as I said at the top of the show, I had a little bit of uh, feedback from some people already. Um, if you have any feedback for the podcast, please get in touch. Um, what I'd really like to do is to up the audience participation uh, aspect of the podcast. If you have any sort of questions for us about the X-Files in general, if you want to know what our favorite episodes are or what we think about anything to do with the show, um, then please tweet me. I'm at David T. Harwood um, on Facebook. Uh, just go to David T. Harwood on there as well. Uh, you can get in touch or just go to X-Files, talkxfiles.com. Whilst you're on that website, if you want to click on the affiliate link to Amazon, if you're going to be buying anything off there uh, anytime soon, it won't cost you anything extra to go through that, but a little bit of the money will come back to help support the show. Um, I think if you click through that affiliate link as well, you can also get a free trial of Amazon Prime, which is great because you can start watching Frank Spotnitz's show, Man in the High Castle, on there. Yes, definitely um, recommend that. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, so I need to do that as well. So uh, listeners, me and you, let's let's just all do that together. Yes. <laughs> uh, Kava, how can people get in touch with you other than going for xvalsnews.com? Um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm I'm there and I talk a lot and love to um, chat with, with other files. So my Twitter handle is at Synergy3K. Thank you very much, Kava. It has been an absolute pleasure doing this with you. Uh, thank you, listeners, for listening. That's it for this week. I'm going to be back next week uh, with Avi and Tiffany and also with Garrett from xvalsnews.com. And we're going to be doing uh, the finale of Season 3, Talifi Kumi, Fruta Haranvolk, the first episode of Season 4. Until then, bleep bleep, blankety blank bleep. <laughs> Please